Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews 11, but we're going to back up into Hebrews 10. So uh, go ahead and go to Hebrews 11, and then we'll just uh, just backtrack just a, just a little bit as we continue our study through Hebrews. So at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, you know, the writer, he's encouraging these, these Hebrew believers who were, they were really, they were discouraged they were really kind of, uh, you know, they grew up in the Jewish faith and, and, and Judaism and with all the ceremonies and the festivals. And, and, and they were tempted after a few decades of the existence of the church there to go back into Judaism and, uh, you know, kind of get the feel of, you know, all the ceremony and the festivals and just everything that they grew up with. And they were, they were tempted to go back. And so the writer is trying to encourage them. And at the end of chapter 10, verse 36, he says this to them. He says, for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We believe to the savings of the soul. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You know, just a little side thing as we're speaking about baptisms anyways. The command here, you know, believing in baptism, you'll be saved. But notice that he also doesn't say, uh, he says, who does not believe will be condemned. He doesn't say if you're, if you're not baptized, you won't be condemned. Because some people say you, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. No, no, you're saved by your faith in Jesus Christ. But your baptism is an outward showing to everybody else of what's gone on in your heart. It's an outward testimony of what's changed in your life. You're identifying with Christ. So the baptism doesn't save you. Your faith in Christ Jesus does. Your repentance of your sin, you're confessing him as your Lord and Savior. But baptism, again, it's an outward sign to those around you. It's a testimony to the world around us. So he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So faith in Christ Jesus and his work on the cross, that is necessary in order for a person to be saved. But notice in verse 38 of chapter 10, the writer says this, and he's quoting from Habakkuk, the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. So you're saved by your faith, but also we live by faith. So, so what is faith, and how does one live by faith? And that is what chapter 11 is all about. Chapter 11 talks about, gives us a definition, what is faith? And then that's in the beginning of the chapter. The rest of the chapter gives us examples of those who lived by faith. And so you and I can learn how to live by faith. You know, it's like, what does it look like fleshed out in our lives here in Minnesota in 2015? What does is, what is living by faith look like for you and I as believers today? And that's what uh, this lesson is, is really all about. So first off, what is faith? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance literally means that which stands under. 
What do you and I stand under? Well, we stand under solid ground. We stand, if, you know, this church that we're standing or sitting in, it's based on a foundation. That's what it's talking about. It's a foundation. So faith is the foundation of things hoped for. And then he says, it's the, the evidence of things not seen. It's a proof by which a thing is proved or tested. So you and I, we have faith in something unseen. The faith is our foundation. And if you have faith in something, you're convinced that it is true or it is it's real. And that means you have a conviction. And a conviction, uh, we, we basically, we act upon our convictions. You are all men and women of faith. I know that because you all believe that those chairs would support you. And you sat down in those chairs. You had that faith. I believe this chair is going to support me. You took that act of faith. You, 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 it, you were convicted or convinced that that chair can support me. And you acted upon it. You acted upon your conviction by sitting down. So you're all men and women of faith here this morning. When we act upon our convictions, it's a process of proving or demonstrating our faith. You know, before 2005, I believed that the Bible, uh, the land of the Bible, the land of Israel, existed. I mean, I had read about it. I had heard about it. I had heard others' testimonies about being there and visiting it. I believed Israel existed, but I had never been there. I had never seen it with my own eyes. But I was convicted or convinced that the land of Israel existed. And so my conviction in the existence of the land of Israel led me to act as if it existed. How did I act? Well, purchase a plane ticket and traveled over there and, and visited the land of Israel. If I didn't believe it existed, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to buy a ticket to Never Never Land, right? I'm, I'm going to Never Never Land. I'm going to go next week and see you guys later. I got somebody filling in the pulpit for me. But I believed in the land of Israel, so I wanted to go see it. I acted on my convictions. And in 2005, my faith in the existence of the land of Israel became sight. I love that last song that we sing, you know. I'm looking forward to the day when my faith will be sight. Isn't that going to be an awesome time? You know, we live by faith right now. We, 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 we believe in what we don't see. I mean, I don't see Jesus. Do you see Jesus? I don't see Jesus, but I believe in him. But one day that faith is going to be sight. Praise God. Well, as Christians, we don't see God. We don't see heaven. We don't see angels, at least not that we know of. I've got testimonies of things where I think I've interacted with an angel, but I don't know. Uh, we don't see the dead in Christ. My, my parents, or my dad anyways, and, and other relatives, other loved ones, have gone on. They've, they've, they've passed away, and they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I believe that they are alive in heaven today. But I don't see them. I don't, you know, my dad doesn't visit me every night and talk to me or anything like that. But I believe he's alive in heaven. Why? Because the Bible says so. We have faith in their existence. Um, but, you know, it's important to understand that faith is not blind, wishful thinking. Because we have evidence. We have the Bible. We have God's word. We have the testimony of the writers of God's word that, that gives us, it's not a blind faith. And so faith enables you and I to see what we can't see at this point anyways. But we live by our convictions. And sometimes, even in the face of things that seem to contradict our convictions, we still believe them. Now, the rest of the chapter is devoted to showing how to live by faith. And, and the writer here is going to give examples of the Old Testament saints. So verse 2, he says this, For by it, that's by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. 
You know, for many of these men and women, their faith in the unseen was challenged by seemingly contradicting circumstances. We'll talk about that as we, as we get further into it. And yet they acted upon their convictions, and they obtained a good testimony. I like to call chapter 11 of Hebrews the Hebrews Hall of Faith. You know, you got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you got the, you know, the Golfers Hall of Fame. You got all these Hall of Fames. Well, chapter 11 of Hebrews is the, is the Believers Hall of Faith, or Hall of Fame, if you want to call it that. But, you know, it's interesting to me is even before the writer starts listing the Hall of Faith heroes, he makes this statement in verse 3. He says, By faith we understand that the worlds, worlds excuse me, were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen uh, were not made of things which are visible. Isn't that interesting that the writer here before he even gets into anything else, he's just explained what faith is. And before he gives us how to live by faith, he makes this statement about the fact that we, by faith, understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. That God created everything that exists out of nothing. Why is that so important for you and I? Why is it the beginning of chapter 11? Well, because faith in God's spoken word to create everything that exists from, no- from nothing is foundational to having faith in God's ability to save you. It's foundational to believe in God's ability to redeem fallen man. And that's why evolution, that's why theistic evolution, it's really, that's kind of an oxymoron, but, um, you know, theistic evolution, evolution, those are Satan's attempts to undermine that foundation of your and my faith, that God declared it, he created the world out of nothing, Everything that exists, he just spoke it into existence. It's foundational. Because if you don't believe that, if you have a struggle with the biblical account of creation, I guarantee you're going to have a struggle with all the other... I mean, what do you mean Jonah was swallowed by a whale or a fish? You know, How did Jesus walk on the water? What do you mean he rose again from the dead? If you don't believe in the spoke, that God spoke things into existence that, wasn't, you know, that didn't exist, you'll have a problem with all those others. I guarantee you'll struggle with it. So it's foundational. So that's why it's written there. So verse 11, or excuse me, verse 4 of chapter 11. We're going to talk about the first person, Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and and through it he being dead still speaks. So going all the way back to the very beginning, to the start of all time, to Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel. We know from the book of Genesis that Abel was a shepherd. He cared for sheep. Cain was a farmer. Genesis chapter 4 tells us that Abel worshipped the Lord, and it says that he offered a firstborn lamb and the fat thereof to the Lord. Now when you read that, you go, wait a minute, that, that's before the Levitical law. I mean, that's before the Ten Commandments, but that's before God explained to the children of Israel how to sacrifice animals, you know, what he required. And yet, here in the very beginning of time, Abel offers a lamb and the fat thereof. That sounds just like a Levitical sacrifice. How did that happen? How did he know to do that? Well, you just got to back up one generation to his parents, Adam and Eve. When they sinned in the Garden of Eden, they became aware of their guilt and they realized suddenly, I don't have any clothes on. They realized they were naked. 
And in their shame to cover up their nakedness, they took fig leaves and sewed them together and made little grass skirts. Well, he, she probably had a skirt. Maybe he had a, you know, who knows. But anyways, they, they made clothing out of fig leaves to hide their nakedness. And at that point, God introduced the concept of blood atonement to Adam and Eve. Because he killed a lamb. And he took their skins and he made clothing for Adam and Eve to cover over their sin, to cover over their nakedness. And what God was teaching Adam and Eve is that there's a wage for sin. There's a price to be paid for sin, and that's death. The death, something has to die when sin occurs. And so God provided a substitutional atonement, or a covering, if you will, for their sin. And Adam and Eve undoubtedly passed this on to their children, And Abel, by faith, Abel believed the testimony of his parents. He believed about what God required by faith, and he acted on his conviction, and he offered a lamb as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now Cain, on the other hand, evidently, he did not believe the testimony of his parents. Or, for whatever reason, he decided to offer God something of his own efforts, According to his own way. Yeah, God wants this, but I'm going to give God this. You know, that's what people do all the time. Yeah, the Word of God says this, but my God says, my God's not like that. My God's this way. This is the way I worship God. I don't have to go to church to where I can go out in the woods and worship the Lord. Yeah, I'm going to do things my way. That's exactly what Cain did. Cain decided to work, uh, offer God something of his own efforts. And according to his own way, not what God required. And so Cain offered the fruit of the ground. And it says back in Genesis 4 that God was pleased by Abel's act of obedient faith when he sacrificed the lamb, but God was not pleased with Cain's. And as a result, Cain's countenance fell. You know what that means? Cain got depressed, literally. First case of depression was Cain. And Cain hated Abel, and he murdered him. And speaking of Abel there at the end of verse 4 in chapter 11, says, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. That seems to be referring to the shedding of, of Abel's blood there as, it was, as he was murdered by his, by his brother. And the blood, God said, you know, you, the, your brother's blood is crying up to me from the ground. The innocent blood is crying up to me from the ground. And that's a foreshadowing of Christ's blood being shed, because later on, we'll not get to it today, but later on in chapter 12, verse 24, speaking of Christ's innocent blood that was shed, he says there, it speaks better things than that of Abel. Well, let's move on here. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You could go to Genesis 5 and read about Enoch. Enoch descended from Adam's son, Seth. Seth was born after Abel was murdered. Now, Enoch had a son named Methuselah. Methuselah happened to be Noah's grandfather. And Methuselah was the, was the only one that lived the longest, or he lived the longest of any human. He lived 969 years. That's, that's a long time. Uh, and interesting, too, we could get into a whole other Bible study, but the year that Methuselah died was the year that the flood occurred. Very fascinating. Anyways, 
Enoch was Methuselah's father, and yet he was taken away, it says here, so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him up. What is that about? Well, Enoch was caught up to heaven and never died. Enoch is a picture of the rapture of the church. Enoch was taken up to heaven prior to God raining down judgment, literally raining down judgment on the wicked world. Now, some people look at Noah and they go, well, you know, Noah's a picture of the church because Noah went through the flood and God delivered him through the flood, saved him through the flood. And so they believe the church is going to go through the tribulation and God's going to deliver the church through the tribulation. Well, Noah is a picture of the nation, I believe, is a, nation, is a picture of the nation of Israel. And yes, they are going to go through the tribulation. The Bible talks about it. Uh, God's not done with the, with the nation of Israel. And God's going to miraculously protect them and deliver them out of the tribulation. But Enoch is a picture of the church being raptured before the judgment occurs. It says, but he, Enoch, was taken, uh, excuse me, before he, Enoch, was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, we don't know a whole lot more about Enoch until we get to the book of Jude in the New Testament. And in Jude 1, verse 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. He's speaking about wicked men. Prophesying about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It's fascinating to me when you read about Enoch. Well, Adam and Eve, not only did he, they have Cain and Abel and then later Seth, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters besides those guys. Uh, they're not recorded in the Bible. We don't know their names. Uh, we know the Bible tells us that Adam lived 800 years and then he died. We're given a... a, a, a the, the descendants of Cain for, for a few generations, maybe 10 generations or so, something like that. We're given that, but we're not told how long Cain lived. I can assume, we can assume, I think, that he lived a long time. Seth lived 807 years. You know, uh, when Teresa and I got married, it was just Teresa and I. Well, actually, we, had a, we already had a son that I adopted. So there was three of us, you know, and then we, had, we got married. We had three more children, and... Uh, it's been, I don't know, 20-some 20, 20 years, and now we've got, they've, they're all married, so that doubled. So then we went from four kids to eight, you know, counting the in-laws, and then they had children, and some of them have three or four kids. And so all of a sudden, within a space of about 30 years, we went from two or three individuals, two and a half because he's a little guy, um, to all of a sudden we've got like, I don't know, 18 or so that are kind of somehow related to us. It's amazing. But think about if we lived 800 years how many children and grandchildren and, and, you know, think about how many people there was. Well, prior to the flood, the people lived very, very long lives. And the population exploded prior to the flood. But you know what? Wickedness also exploded prior to the flood. And in fact, that's the reason that God destroyed the world with the flood. Well, Enoch, seventh generation down from Adam, stood out in his generation as a righteous man who believed God and walked with God. And when it means that he walked with God, it means he, he just lived his life in a relationship with God. That's what it means. And Enoch here was a preacher of righteousness. Now, it's fascinating to me. Enoch is pretty much 
close to the very beginning of time, and yet he prophesied about the return of Christ with his church prior to the start of the millennium. I mean, that's just amazing. Well, Enoch lived by faith and pleased God. And the Bible says here, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in order to please God, Enoch believed that God is, that God exists, and that God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that conviction, remember we talked about conviction, that conviction led Enoch to walk with God by faith. And by the way, Enoch set an example for his children, his offspring. His Methuselah walked with God. Methuselah was a righteous God. Uh, his grandson, his great-grandson Noah, walked with God and was a righteous man. Think of the influence that these men had on their, on their children. Well, we get to uh, Enoch's great-grandson Noah, verse, 11, or verse 7. By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You know, God had warned Noah of his impending judgment of a worldwide flood. And Noah had been warned of these things that says not yet seen. What did he not see? He had never seen rain he had never seen a local flood, let alone a global flood, because there was never anything to flood. I mean, it was, there wasn't this, those, the storms. And yet, Noah believed God, and he built an ark to save he and his household, and at least two of each species of land animals. You know, I used to work with a guy, um, and uh, the guy, you know, he believed in God. Uh, he believed in creation, at least to some extent, I know. Uh, believed in Jesus. Uh, believed in the Bible. We, we would have discussions over that. But for some reason, he always struggled with the flood of Noah. And he, said, I, he says, I just, I just can't accept that it was a global flood. It had to have been a local flood. And I know there are other people that believe that this flood recorded in the book of Genesis was a local flood. Well, besides the fact that the writers of the Bible accept the fact that it was a global flood, there's some other questions that I have, and I'm not a geologist, I'm not a scientist or in, in any stretch of the imagination, but why is there a worldwide distribution of all types of fossils all over the world? Why are marine fossils found on the tops of mountains? Uh, why is there this sedimentary layer of, of, of rock and water-laid you know, sediments all over the world? It's a worldwide thing. Why? And again, I'm not a scientist, but Besides that, if it was a local flood, you know the Bible says that the ark rested on Mount Ararat. It's like 17,000 feet. So a lo local flood would have had to have been pretty, pretty deep <laughs> to cover Mount Ararat. And having said all that, why would God tell Noah to build this incredibly large ark if it was a local flood? Why don't you just go to the higher ground, man? <laughs> go up into the Himalayas. You'll be all right. Well... To me, anyways, it doesn't make sense that it's a global, uh, local flood. It was a global flood. And so Noah, he had never seen rain, uh, let alone a flood. He believed God. He was convinced God's word was true, and his conviction led him to build an ark in obedience to God. And Noah, it says, received imputed righteousness by faith. 
That word imputed, it's not a word that we use too often, but what it basically means is that righteousness was accounted to him or credited to his account. You know, it's interesting because Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, he says that we're saved by faith and not by works. Right? We're, saved, we're, we're just saved by our faith in Christ Jesus, not by any works that you and I do. But then James, in his letter, in James chapter 2, says that faith without works is dead. So what is it? Is it faith without works, or is it you know, works and faith? What is it? Well, when you guys, when we look at the, the lives of these, cha- of these men and women in chapter 11, they had faith, but their faith had works. In other words, their faith, motiva- their works that they did was motivated by their faith. If I said I believe something, but I didn't act on my conviction, you'd really wonder if I really believed it, you know? If I said, hey, if you said, hey, have a seat in this chair, and I said, well, you know, I believe that chair will hold me up, but, nah. and, I, and I just stood there, I don't want to sit down. And you go, well, why don't you say, well, I'm not sure it's going to hold me up, you know? I mean, if I have faith, if I have conviction, I'll act on that conviction. These men and women throughout this, chapter 11 here they had faith but they acted on their faith uh, with they acted on their convictions now true faith not only works as we see here but it also is able to look beyond the present circumstances even when those circumstances seem contrary and that's what we're going to look at next because we get to chat to uh, verse 8 and we start talking about some men uh, some people who believed in spite of the odds that seemed contrary to what they were believing. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him who, uh, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And you go back into the book of Genesis, you read about Abram, which is Abraham, same person. He just got, his name got changed later on. But Abram lived in, in what was known as Ur of the Chaldees, which is in Mesopotamia. Now the city of Ur, they've actually done excavations. They've discovered where it is. They've done excavations about, around it. And apparently it was a very old and a very prosperous city in the days of Abraham. It was a wealthy place and very affluent. And they've done excavations, and they've actually uncovered a very, very large library there containing thousands of clay tablets, which means that the inhabitants of Ur were readers and writers. So they were, not only were they uh, wealthy and affluent, that city of Ur, but they were also educated. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a, a good place to live, right? A good place to raise a family. Lots of stuff happening and everything. Well, Abram was called by God to leave a wealthy, thriving city and to travel to a place God would later reveal to him. 
And the Bible says that he believed God, and he took his wife Sarah, his father Terah, and his uh, nephew Lot, and he left Ur. Now, how many of you guys would be willing to leave the comfort of what you know and follow God with no reservations and no roadmap? You know, we're just, I'm just, I'm heading out. You know, where are you going? Well, God's going to tell me as I go. Huh? How many of you would be willing to do that? That's exactly what Abraham did. You know, we like to think of ourselves as, as great men and women of faith, and we'll take a step of faith as long as God kind of gives us a little, as long as he kind of lays it out what, what's down the road for us. But that's not what he did with Abraham. That's not how God leads his people. You know, it doesn't that God, you know, likes to give people heartburn or likes to keep them up at night so they're worrying about things. God is doing that to us because he's preparing you and I for the ages to come. So we get so focused on this life and, and, and what's going on in our lives today. But you, do you realize that Jesus, that God is preparing you for living in the millennium and he's preparing you for living in eternity And so he's stretching you and I, he's training you and I, he's maturing you and I in order to prepare us for the life to come. And when you and I fully understand that, when we really get a grasp on that, uh, then what we understand what's going on in our lives here and now, you know, it has less to do with here and now and more to do with the hereafter. And then the more we're willing to live like Abraham and allow God to stretch us. You know... We way back when we went through the book of Judges, we've been working our way through the through the Old Testament, and uh, we're, we're right at the cusp of starting the Minor Prophets. The, the book of uh, I think the book of Hosea is the next one in the Old Testament, but we actually started years ago in the book of Genesis and worked our way through. And we'll do a few books in the Old Testament, then we'll jump ahead in the New Testament and stuff. And and uh, anyways, back in Judges. There's a fascinating story in Judges chapter 3. And it's when the children of Israel were entering the promised land. I remember God had, had divided the Red Sea so the children of Israel could cross. You know, they were, getting, they were surrounded by the Egyptians. And, uh, and God parted the Red Sea so that the children of Israel could cross on dry land to, get a, to escape from Pharaoh and his army. God did a similar thing with the children of Israel when they entered the promised land. They had to cross the Jordan River. And at the time that they were at the Jordan River, it was at flood stage. It's in Judges chapter 3, if you want to read it later on. Well, God told the children of Israel, God told Moses, Take, tell the Levites, these are the guys who are leading the children of Israel, to go and to step into the flooding water. And once they stepped into the flooding water, once the soles of their feet touched the water, then God would part the river to let the children of Israel cross over. But it wasn't until the Levites took their first step till they literally got their feet wet and took the plunge. And then God parted the water. Why did God do that? Because God was trying to teach the children of Israel all the things that he was doing in the wilderness for them. He was trying to teach them to live each day by day, trusting him, and just, just following him step by step by step. God wants to do that in your and my life. He's not trying to give you heartburn. He's trying to prepare you. He's working in your life to prepare you, to mature you in your faith. Well, Abraham took that first step of faith. And guess what? God led him to a foreign place already populated. 
What's with that? <laughs> you know, he's going to the promised land. There's already people here, God. And this is really a strange place. And then on top of that, God says, hey, look around, Abram. All that you see around here, I'm going to give to your descendants. And Abram said, you know, I think maybe you got the wrong person, God, because uh, I don't have any descendants. It's just me and Sarah. And yet, Abraham believed God. And later on, God would indeed give Abraham a son named Isaac. Isaac would have a son named Jacob. And as it says here in Hebrews, Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, three generations, they just lived in tents. They, they, were, they were like campers, just passing through the land there that God had promised to them. They never received it. They were just passing through. And yet they believed God's promise. And Abraham left an affluent, prosperous city of Ur and lived like a nomad in tents all his life. And it says, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, the faith was working in Abraham. Abraham could see the unseen. He could see what God had promised him, a city by faith. And so convinced was he that he was that God was faithful to deliver that, that he lived a nomadic life in anticipation of the city that he could see by faith. Abraham was, listen to this, this city that Abraham saw by faith, whose foundations and builder is God, he believed it, and he lived his life accordingly. You know, that city, he didn't have a whole lot of full disclosure. You and I have so much more revealed to us about that city. It's the city of New Jerusalem, Revelation 21 and 22. We, we've got descriptions. Of, we, we even know what the, what the city's paved with. We know all this stuff about the city. How much more do we know than Abraham? Well, Abraham lived his life like a sojourner, waiting to get there. Abraham by faith, was able to look forward and see the unseen, even when things seemed to contradict it. I don't have any children. God, there's, there's, there's all these Canaanites around here. What do you mean this is my land? And the more he looked at the cities around him that he had seen, like Ur that he had came from, the more he realized they don't have foundations. What do you mean by that? The more he looked around at the, at the world around him, the more he realized, man, this is all temporary. There's nothing firm here. For you and I as believers, that's an important thing to get a grasp on. My finances, there's nothing secure about my finances. There's nothing secure about anything in this life except my faith in Christ Jesus and taxes. Taxes are pretty secure. Just kidding. Death and taxes. <laughs> but... Abraham looked around and he realized there's no foundation. I'm looking for a city that's got a foundation. And that builder is God. And so he was looking to New Jerusalem. And so, like Abraham, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You and I need to live like Abraham, like nomads, like sojourners just passing through. We're just campers, man. We're just, we're just living in tents. I literally live in a tent. We all literally live in a tent. The Bible's Paul talks about that. But you know what travelers don't do? They don't put down roots while they're traveling. Because they know, hey, this is temporary. I'm not going to settle down here because this isn't my home. I'm just passing through. That's the way you and I are to live by faith. To, to live as though we realize this isn't my home. Heaven's my home. I'm waiting for New Jerusalem. Verse 11, it says, By faith Sarah herself 
also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, when you go back to the story of, of Abraham and Sarah, you know, Sarah was in the tent cooking falafels or something, and, uh, and Abraham, these three guys show up at Abraham's tent, because he didn't have a house, he had a tent, and start talking to him, and they say, hey, this time next year, you're going to have a son. And uh, Sarah's back there, like, cracking up. She's like, yeah, come on, man, I'm, in, I'm, I'm an old lady. I'm past childbearing. Yeah, I'm going to have a son. Yeah, right. You know. <laughs> and the Lord said, hey, why'd you laugh? Do you think anything's impossible for God? She said, I didn't laugh. No, 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 you, you did laugh. You did laugh. And then I think at that point, Sarah's like, oh, boy. <laughs> I don't think he's just a, you know, a shoe salesman or something like that. <laughs> you know, I get encouraged by Sarah. You know, we're not told how or when Sarah went from laughing with incredulity. I'm going to write, I wrote this down, but I don't know if I could pronounce it right. Incredulity? Incredulity? Is that a word? Yes. Somebody needs to say, a school teacher, can you say? Well, I would have never said it that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so. We're not told how or when Sarah went from laughing with that word. Um, to believing the promise. The Bible doesn't tell us that. We're kind of left out in the dark in that. And yet, she did. Because we're told here in Hebrews that she judged him faithful who had promised. You know, Sarah had nothing physically to pin her hope on. I mean, face it. She was an old lady at this point. If she was going to have a son like God said, it would have to be a purely a miraculous work of God. And I think God likes to do that sometimes because God gets the glory then. And at first she chuckled at the thought, but later on she trusted in the promise. And that comforts me because there are times, you know, I'm not this great giant of faith. You're not either. There's times where it's like, ah, man, I, I don't know, but, but they grew in faith. And, and, and praise God, he's patient with us and he allows us to grow. You look at the lives of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. They didn't start out as giants of faith, but they grew in their faith. And that's the key. That's what we want to do as believers. We want to grow in our faith. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham died in faith. He never received those promises in this life, but he saw them from a distance. He was assured of them and he embraced them. And the more he embraced them, the more he realized, man, I'm just a stranger here. I'm just passing through. I'm a pilgrim here. And the more you and I look forward in faith, the more we realize, man, I don't fit here. I'm a stranger in this world. You know, when I grew up, I wanted to be part of what was going on in the world. You know, I want, it, it, you know, I wanted to be hip. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be what everybody, you know, do what everybody else is doing. And the more I started trusting the Lord and started walking towards the Lord, I realized, no, I'm an oddball, man. Well, you guys know that already, but I'm an oddball. I don't fit in in, in this world, and that's true. We don't fit in, and the sooner you realize that 
the sooner you go, you know what? I'm not going to focus on this thing, this world and this system. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. And I'm going to press on. And I'm going to trust in God's promise, looking forward and seeing the unseen. You know, if Abraham had dwelled in his mind or in his heart on the city of Ur, think of how tempted he would have been to go back to that. Because that was, I mean, you know, you're... You know, we go camping sometimes. I love going camping. But, you know, after a while, it's like, you know, I, I could really, I, some hot water, a hot shower, nice food, you know, doesn't, you know, well, we eat pretty good when we're camping. But after a while, it's like, you know what, I just want to get back to my bed, sleep in my bed. We start thinking of the comforts of home. We kind of want to go back to that. Well, if Abraham, you know, he's out there dwelling in a tent, who knows if he was swatting mosquitoes or scorpions or coming through his tent or whatever, but at some point, he, he probably, you know, he could have thought, boy, oh, man, I had that really nice house back in Ur, you know, split-level condo at a swimming pool, you know, whatever he thought, you know. I could sure go back to that. But he didn't. And you and I, we need to not look back at the things of this world. We need to not look back at this system. We need to keep our eyes looking forward to Jesus Christ. Because if you do start looking back, things will tempt you. It's like, man, this is tough. But God's taking you and I from where we are, where we were. He's taking us on a direction, and that direction is towards Him, towards heaven. And as a result, He, Abraham, and all these others mentioned, please God, because they walked and they lived by faith. And it says, And God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. You know, the Christian life... I'm finding this out more and more. It's not boring. It really isn't. It's a venture in faith. And you know, you'll never grow too much in your faith. God will never say to you, hey, you know, come on, you're, 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 you're taking too many leaps of faith. I mean, just, you know, just step back a little bit. You're, you're get, you know, come to your senses about you. You're, you're too trusting. God's never going to say that to you. He'll take you as far as you want to go. He'll take you as far as you want to go. And the thing is, it's up to you. It's up to you how far you want to go with the Lord. He's not going to force you to go where you don't want to go. You'll never grow too much in your faith, and God will only take you as far as you're willing to go. And maybe this morning, as we've been talking, because we're going to stop here, we're going to finish up chapter 11 next week. But maybe as we've been talking about this, and we're going to get into more aspects of faith next week, but maybe you're having a hard time this morning trusting God in some area in your life. Maybe it's finances. I know that's a big, that's a big area to, that we, we struggle with. Maybe it's a, a relationship or a marriage. Maybe it's your family situation. I mean, there's all different things. Could be health, could be whatever. You have a hard time trusting God in this area in your faith. Well, if you want to grow in that area, the first thing you need to do is just ask God to take you, to show you that first step to take. Or just show me the next step you want me to take. God will reveal it to you, but then you need to also ask Him to give you the courage to take that first step. The rest, basically, is up to you and I. You know, it might be frightening, but let me tell you this, God's faithful. God's faithful. If you'll just trust Him. And so... How does walking by faith look like? Well, it's seeing the unseen, acting on our convictions, and it's also uh, walking, just trusting the Lord, taking it step by step. And you might say, well, I can't trust the Lord for that. Well, what area can you trust Him in? 
start growing in your faith. Start saying, Lord, I, I, you know, I, I know this is stretching me, this is uncomfortable, but Lord, I want to take that. I want to take that step, and, and I want to trust you. God's faithful. He's not going to leave you abandoned somewhere. He's faithful if you just would take that step and trust him. Why don't you stand up and let, let's go, Lord, in prayer. And I want to pray for each of us here because, you know, I don't think any of us are these great giants in faith. There are times when we have more faith than others, and sometimes things really frighten us. And sometimes things we just, we just can't see beyond those things. And so I, I just want to pray and ask the Lord to just give us that courage and to help us in, increase in our faith. So let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for each and every person here, Lord God. I know that it's never an accident. It's never a coincidence that we're here to hear whatever message that your Spirit is speaking to us. And so, Father, this morning I pray for any here who are struggling in their faith, Lord, who are tempted to go back to the world and to the world system. Father, I pray that, Lord God, that they would just continue to look forward, to press on. Father, I pray, Lord, as they have... Uh, opportunities to to trust you, to step by faith, to walk by faith. Lord, that you might give them the courage to take that step. And Father, we thank you that you are that you always prove yourself faithful, Lord God. And so, Lord, I just lift up my brothers and my sisters this morning. I pray that you might encourage them this morning, and that Lord, that they might grow in their faith this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Before you're dismissed, you know, there's one other thing I just want to add. When the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, you know, God told them to do something. He said, okay, you're on the other side of the river. He goes, now I want you to take one stone for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to go put it back in the water and build a little mound there so that you can remember. And, and, and so that when the time comes and you, and you start thinking, wow, I don't know how God's going to do this, you look back and you go, wow, God, you were faithful back. I remember that because, you know, we forget. And so I want to encourage you this morning, as the Lord comes through, as the Lord proves faithful in whatever situation you're at, write it down, remember it, share it with somebody, build a memorial in your heart so that you can go back and you can go, you know what, I've got this new trial, but man, God's been faithful all this time in the past. I'm going to trust him for my future. So I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Uh, May the Lord bless you this day, and uh, God bless you, you're dismissed.